I met Steen Rasmussen and Christina Korsholm maybe eight years ago at an event. Steen is one of the pioneers of the field of artificial life. Now understand what I'm not saying is AI. I'm literally saying artificial life, taking chemical components and reactions and creating things with lifelike qualities. And what I love about this is Christina, his daughter, has gone around the world talking to people about the future. And Christina, his organic life, his daughter, will interview Steen about his work in the future of life. Before we do this, let's cue a video with Chris, some of Christina's comments. As soon as we start talking about uh, changing what it means to be human, we're talking about the singularity because you, if we are going to evolve to be more intelligent, um, we're going to be able to do things that we can't do now. We're going to be able to think about things that we can't imagine now. And so we start to enter a world that we can't quite conceive of anymore. Like, what should we do to support these institutions or transform them? What would you do if you could, like, wave your magic wand? Well, the one sentence I would say is something like, um, cherish an architecture of serendipity. That would be the sentence. Beautiful. And the technology can either uh, provide you with lots of surprises or it can provide you instead with a, an architecture of control where you can control the uh, environment with which you live virtually or physically and uh, as well as cherishing an architecture of serendipity, uh, be wary of an architecture of control. Det er det, jeg mener med, visionen for det gode samfund er måske et samfund, der kontinuerligt er eksperimenterende og lærende og reflekterende. Ikke et samfund, der er noget bestemt, men som hele tiden er i stand til at forandre sig. Obesity of technology, like overusing it. Oh my God! Yeah, it's we like can a, use it. It's like an informational ways. obesity. Informational obesity. Yeah, I like that word. Yeah, and so it's like <laughs> people are gorging on bad stuff. They are. And uh, and this is a uh, what I'm worried about, and the challenge is to try and combat this gorging on bad information. So, if we should summarize or conclude something today, um, what would it be? It's that we're in a tremendously pivotal time, and I, I think what you said is the key point, which is that those of us that are storytellers and that are scientists and that really to see that story and science and technology are all weaving together into one discipline, that it's very important for us to take the platonic responsibility to see how that's going to affect culture because we no longer are doing it through the Gutenberg press. I've been exploring the new and emerging technologies. I've explored what they do, how they change our economy, and how they change our institutions. And I've explored how they change what it means to be human. Perhaps the most radical of them all is artificial life. It's a technology that allows non-living materials to become alive and enables self-replicating materials to evolve new properties and solve human problems. Ladies and gentlemen, Christina Korsholm and Steen Rasmussen.
Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for having us. Uh, and thank you for the remark about organic life. I enjoyed that. <laughs> All right. So um, forgive me. I brought my phone. I'm not texting nor tindering. I'm just keeping track. I have a few notes here. So um, I grew up between Denmark and Los Alamos, New Mexico. My dad is a scientist. He creates artificial life. And uh, I soon realized that my family was different from my friends' families because uh, when we would have dinner, we would not talk about the weather or what's on TV tonight. No, like our favorite topics would be artificial life or why are we here or what is life and what are the creative forces of nature and stuff like that. Um, so. Thanks for that, Dad. Uh, I have a little experiment I would love to do if you guys are game for it. I know it's late and we're running a little late. Are you okay? Yes. Good, all right, so ex the experiment is, we're gonna be back in Los Alamos at our dinner table. And you're gonna participate in one of our little conversations we used to have, all right? So here we go. <clears throat> so Dad, can you tell me why are we trying to understand and eventually control the creative forces of nature? Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to use this one here. <laughs> Low tech, it's the other but one. Yeah, are the around here. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, just think about it. Why are we here? And uh, just look at all this incredible beauty that has unfolded as life has uh, emerged and developed. Uh, so I think it's this uh, quest for or desire to try to understand our place in the universe that certainly has been uh, driving, uh, driving us to, to, to do these things. And, um, and of course, we, uh, um, to, to do that as a scientist, I'm a physicist, we believe, most scientists anyways, that, that life is fundamentally a physical process. So, so um, my quest has been to try to figure out what the essential properties of the physical reality has to be for you to actually, as us, as humans, to actually create life from non-living materials. What is it that enables uh, self-organization and, and self-assembly to, to create living things that eventually can make you and, and us? Uh, and, and, and it is true, it, it is an understanding trying to, to, to figure out what the creative forces are in nature. And, uh, and of course, as we as humans, we are, we are doing this in, to some extent in artificial intelligence already, because learning is an inherent part of, of what we as living systems can do. Uh, but what we want to do is sort of dig a, a, a bit uh, deeper so we can actually embed uh, this in, in materials that is not the ones that you find in, in modern uh, living systems. And as we get closer to actually being able to understand uh, what's going on, then of course that, that generates a lot of uh, possibilities for us. We can do incredible things, which we can talk about later, but it also, it's kind of scary if we can unleash the creative forces of, of nature. Can, can and, I backtrack one second? Sure. All right, so I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you you're not really in the field of artificial life, and probably a lot of you are not physicists. So I'm just, forgive me, um, I would like to um, explain in my words what I see that the artificial life is, or how, what it looks like when we turn non-living materials into 
sort of living materials. So picture this. We can all agree on that um, my skin is a living material. When I get a cut in it, um, it will grow back together automatically because it's alive. Now, take my jacket here. It's a non-living material. If I get a cut, I need to take it to the tailor so she can or he can repair it. Now, what if the thought is this, if we could make this non-living material work like and act like it's alive, like the skin, so it would grow back together automatically, not only would I save a lot on my tailor bill, but it would be fascinating if we could also translate that into other things. Is that a good way to explain? Yeah, that's one, one of the things. So, so self-repair and we'll have sustainability, we'd completely uh, eliminate the problems we have with, with pollutions today because um, as our technology, every piece of it, we're not talking about today and not tomorrow, but the day after tomorrow, we'll be able to make our technology in such a way that as the technology has sort of done its thing, you can then, de or it will decompose like I do when I die, and, and we can then, uh, the rest of the ecology will then be able to use, uh, reuse these things. So, um, so how are we concretely working in the lab to create artificial life? Yeah, so, so I, this is what I'm usually talking about, and I, I promise not to, to be too technical here, um, but, but I, I want to just give you a, a brief idea of what it is we, we do in the lab. There is a bit of confusion about what life is and what uh, intelligence is, not only in sort of in, in, you know, by the best of us, or among the best of us, but also by scientists. I don't think there is, a, I know there isn't any uh, agreed upon definition. But if you look at this, then you have on the, on the vertical axis, you start with a rock down in the, in the lower left corner, and then as you go up, uh, then you get more and more living things. If you start with a rock again and you go to the, to the right, then you get more and more intelligent things. And if you see uh, up in the upper right corner, you have humans. You already today, uh, surprisingly, are able to make intelligent processes that can outperform humans in many different ways. Well, there's still lots of things that AI can't do, but, and they are not alive, these things. These are inherent, in, 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 these are inherent processes in, in, in computers. Uh, I have spent most of my professional life sort of crawling up, starting with something similar to a rock, and then um, making, um, mixing things a little bit in the same tradition as, uh, uh, as an alchemist, uh, instead of trying to make gold, we would then make life. What is it that, that, that enables living or non-living materials to come together? So, so this is what, what we do in the lab. We crawl up here, and then as, um, I should maybe go to the next one here. Uh, this is a, a bow plan or a blueprint of what we do in the lab. I mean, there, there is not a, a complete uh, co coherence in, in as to what life is. We don't have a, a strict definition of it um, in a scientific sense. I think that you should think about life as being uh, a relative uh, concept. You should not think about it as human life. We saw that there was a big difference between human life and a bacteria or uh, these protocells that, that, that we are making in the lab. And uh, at the end of the day, we need to have a system that can take in resources, turn the resources into building blocks so that the system can grow and divide. And then we need to have information that at least in part enables 
or controls how this growth and division uh, is happening. And if this information uh, can be inherited and it can be changed a little bit from, from one uh, generation to the next, then we have the possibility to have selection because if the daughter is a little bit better than the mother, then that would be selected for. And once we have selection, then we have, we have evolution and, and then we are done. So then we have created life. It, it turns out it's not so easy to create life. And, 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 if, you, and if you look at it, uh, you, again, don't think about human life. Think about things that are lousier than a, or simpler than, than a modern bacteria. Uh, and and uh, so I would say it's something in between a, a what's it called, a, um, a bacteria and, and maybe a crystal. It's simpler than a, than a bacteria. And I'll not get into too many details, but I think you at least have to go home with this idea that we, in, in the right-hand corner, we have the resources and we have free energy coming in. Then we have a metabolism. Without free energy, nothing happens. And, and this uh, free energy, actually in terms of light in our system, can turn these resources into building blocks. So the metabolism makes the building blocks for the container and for the information. The container keeps the information and the metabolism together so that they can actually interact with each other. And then, via a catalysis, it enhances um, uh, the production of more information material and more container material. So could you, could you uh, resemble it to, like, my body would be the container? Yeah. And I have a metabolism DNA, so. Yeah, so, so yeah, so it's not, but one thing I should say is that we are sort of standing on giants here. Um, uh, we, perhaps one of the most important things is that we need, as you notice here, uh, there, there are many errors in there, but they're all sort of positively uh, interacting with each other and they have different functionalities. And perhaps what's more remarkable, none of the molecules we're using uh, are the molecules that life is using in the same way. Because if we had to build a living system as, as we know from ourselves, it's way too complicated. We cannot do that, at least not in my lifetime. Okay. So, so, that's, so that's a blueprint. So if you, uh, you know, feel frisky, you should just go home and start working. <laughs> so, so I want to know, so what are the consequences, the consequences when you create this artificial life? What, is the, what are the consequences for us as humans, our society, our planet? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and it, I, I, think that, and I think that all of us wants to know what, what life is. And, and, um, um, but, but in a practical term, as we know today, information technology and AI, big data, is, is in a process of really transforming our world. Uh, if you're kind of uh, sweaty by the pace at which this is happening and how it's changing things, just wait until the artificial life um, or these living technologies, they come online. They're going to change things much more dramatically because they enable us to change the the very materials we built our, all our technology with, as well as our own hardware. I also, I think I need a hardware upgrade. Yeah, I would like to have one too. So <laughs> anyways, but, but the big picture is, I mean, what does it mean? It becomes part of this uh, huge transformation we are in the middle of, where all our physical technologies, um, as we've seen many times earlier in, in, in similar transitions in human history, they're moving away from our social technologies. And our physical technology is a hammer and a nail. It's a, a new app on, our, on your smartphone. It is a digital manufacturing. It's big data, whatever your favorite uh, new technology is. There are hundreds of them. 
And they enable us to do things or change the way we do things uh, in a radical way. And our social technologies, that's our governance, it's our laws, it's our institutions, it's, it's the, our education. The, 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 the formerly known as schools? Yeah. That as we, yeah, and actually I completely <laughs> Thank agree. You, Stephanie. Our, our schools are really messed up. They, they, do not, they, do not, they do not function, our universities do not function anymore. We have to reinvent our, uh, our institutions. And so there's going to be a lot of work for, for many of us and also our children uh, to reinvent uh, these things as, as they were when we went from all being farmers going into the industrial society. So uh, you know when you wrote the, uh, the the constitution and we have our we wrote our constitution it was uh, it was a very different society that's the kind of thing that we uh, we have to think about so and 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 at the very uh, fundamental level um, what is it that makes these new technologies so powerful it is exactly that they increasingly are more and more lifelike and intelligent. That is what gives them the power. So, and, and of course, this is carried by, by, the, uh, by digitalization, and, and, and the internet is, a, is a, you know, sort of the substrate by which we uh, more and more have. We have to view, look, look at this internet of everything uh, as, as part of our, our environment. Um, so, and, and, and one should also notice, I could have chosen to talk about this, that life doesn't need to be in a sort of squishy, um, uh, wet carbon chemistry, life can also be made in, uh, it, we actually know that, that you can make living processes in computers, they are then embedded in, as, as a patterns in the uh, holes and, and electrons in the silicon, um, uh, silicate wa wavers. Um, you can make life in terms of robotics and you can make life uh, that are sort of mixtures of, of, of all of it. So, so life is not limited to life as we know it. And, and many of us will see these things come out and, and really being alive. We talked about space yesterday. Guess what? If you want to build a, a, a what's it called, a colony uh, on, on the moon or on Mars, you have to be able to live on the land. And, and in the same way as our industrial complex, together with our agricultural system, is able to sort of reproduce itself, we need to set up, send up a system sort of an artificial living system that's able to take care of us as we explore, uh, explore space. So again, I want to emphasize that, that as these new technologies, AI is, I actually thought when I was a young man that artificial life will become, would come fur before artificial intelligence. So there you see, you should not always listen to what the scientists they say. Uh, but, but I'm telling you that, that uh, with these uh, very powerful technologies that are lifelike um, uh, comes very big uh, um, responsibilities. So, so we have to be aware of that. And um, on the one hand, go boldly where nobody has ever gone before. But on the other hand, also be uh, really humble and, uh, and, and cautious uh, when we uh, unleash these things to uh, create better life for, for all of us. Uh, I have done this work mostly in um, almost my entire adult life in, in the context of universities. I had uh, 20 fantastic years at, at Los Alamos National Lab where they make the bomb during the Second World War. Uh, I was doing sort of, you know, they were doing this destruction stuff. I was trying to figure out what the creative forces were. So, and, and, and this is what I do also now, but we, we did launch a 
company early uh, or late last last year because unfortunately our um, our governments are decreasingly uh, being innovative and 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 willing to to take risk um, this is more and more something that we have to go to the private sector to do and also because there is all this uh, intellectual property that we have uh, accrued over the years that now finally can come out in uh, and, and work for 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 making uh, life better for all of us. So um, I know to self, it's like the new technologies are a little bit like our babies. When you create life, you have to be careful. It's a yeah. baby. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> yeah, no, that's but right. that's also on a positive note. Uh, yeah. Kind of, you need to paint an honest and realistic picture. But it could also be that they can enhance us and they can inspire us. And so, showing both sides of the coin. Yeah, and, and one of the things that where, where Christina, where you are doing a, a very important uh, job is to create new narratives because the only narratives we have are the ones that uh, about artificial life. Well, like that's, not, that's not entirely true, but until very recently, it was uh, Frankenstein, and it was about <laughs> there was a story about human life. We are doing you know this lousy uh, material, uh, self-reproducing materials, uh, but we need to have narratives that actually tell not only the horror stories, but also how uh, we could imagine to have a, a great society where all our technology can be recycled and where um, our technology can repair itself, it can learn new things, and, um, uh, and you can actually tell your technology to go and, and do stuff. All right. I think dinner is over, right? So lunch can start. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Christina and Steen, thank you so much. Life is not limited to life as we know it. It certainly won't be soon because of work of people like Steen. And I want to point out, Steen Rasmussen recently received the, we all have our industry associations, the Insurance Brokers Agency, the Restaurant Association. They have the Global Association for Practitioners, Researchers in Artificial Life. And Steen was just awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award from his global community. So this is a true honor. Thank you. And Steen, no matter how much gratification you can gain from your professional career, there's nothing like uh, a piece of organic life uh, to give you a sense of pride. And you should be very proud <laughs> of your daughter I and the work she's am. doing. Well, thank you. I cannot agree more with them about this public dialogue. In technology in general, we have two narratives. One is the robots are going to take all our jobs and kill us. And the other side is everything's going to be great and wonderful and free. Obviously, the reality is somewhere in the middle. And we need more people like this out there stirring that part, pot. I, I will differ with you in one respect, Steen. You mentioned Frankenstein. Frankenstein is one of the greatest works of science fiction, perhaps the first work of science fiction, depending on your definition, by Mary Shelley. That's why that quote's in the guide box. And it is also a profound work. It bears no resemblance to the Hollywood films. By the way, I highly recommend Young Frankenstein. It's a great, great movie. <laughs> but Mary Shelley's Frankenstein bears no resemblance to the Hollywood films. The issues she was addressing in 1818 which, by the way, was the same year that The Wanderer over a sea of fog 
by Caspar David Friedrich, who's been guiding us through this entire experience. They both came out in the same year. And one of the narratives, one of the storylines, there's a brilliant scene where Dr. Frankenstein is being challenged uh, by, uh, regarding ethics in terms of this action of being God. And he said, I am simply a scientist. I discover the power of nature, and all else I leave to the poets. And interestingly, in Mary Shelley's book, the monster who is an erudite, brilliant individual, by the way, murdered the poet. Let's go to lunch. 